Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Christina Schwabauer. Christina, thank you for being here with me tonight. Hey, it's great to be here. Congratulations on having a new book. It's a children's book called Bunny. So can you tell me all about it? Yes. It's a story about Bunny from Bunny's perspective. And it's Bunny and her best friend, Jessica. And my daughter is Jessica. And when she was little, her best friend was Bunny. She lived with Bunny. She took Bunny to everywhere with her. And they literally spent their days together like best friends. Mm. And so that's what I wanted to bring forth in the book was just like their day of joy that they had together with each other. Was there something in particular that sparked you to say, hey, I need to sit down and write this book and get it out to the world? Actually, it's kind of crazy because I just sat down one day and was thinking about it and I grabbed a piece of paper and started writing. And within like 20 minutes, it was there and done. Hmm. What sorts of readers do you think would be really into this? I think like zero to seven years old. I think kids that have that joy of just not necessarily sitting in front of electronics, but using their imagination and the joy that they receive from their favorite item that is theirs, that's special to them, that they lay down with in bed every night and that they can see that other kids do this too. And the joy that they receive from spending time with that stuffy that they have. One of the first things that really caught my attention about your book is the cover. The The artwork is really striking. It's beautiful. This is illustrated by Jennifer Ross. Can you tell me about that? Yes. Jennifer is actually my husband's cousin, and she is an actual artist out of Shiawassee here in Michigan. Hmm. And she works at the Shiawassee Art Center, and she has her own shows. She's just a phenomenal talent. I know you said you looked at the cover, but if you look at the illustrations, you'll see the brush strokes that she actually sat with paint and canvas and touched each one of these pictures probably three or four times until the finished product was there. And just the phenomenal time she took to put into it. And the way she made Jessica and Bunny come alive and leap off the page is how I remember things. She's just so talented and such a blessing. It was exciting to watch her abilities come to life on the page. Mm. It was wonderful. Did this whole thing take you a long time then when it came to writing, doing the illustrations, publishing? Was that a long time? It took me about three years, which I think probably is a little longer than what most people take. By the time I wrote the book and then, you know, went back and forth on is, you know, is this something that other people would enjoy? And then taking time to look into publishing companies and find all that information out with this being my first work. I had no idea on those different things. And so just, you know, sitting down and talking with different publishing companies. And then Jennifer had the illustrations for probably a year and then taking it back to the publishing company and going through the different things that they have to do that took about 10 months. Then when you finally got that first copy, you got to hold it in your hands. What was that moment like for you? 
I cried. Mm. <laughs> it's it's like it's like wow, it finally happened. But then you know we see the pictures and everything throughout the process. But then seeing it all together and that all that hard work over those three years and the learning curves and everything that go into it actually has came to a tangible outstanding accomplishment mm. with my name on it. It was just, it was wonderful and exciting. Mm. Would you do it again? Have you given any thought to more books? I've submitted two more wow. and they've both been approved. It's just getting those rolling and I'm going to speak with her about doing the illustrations on the one. And then the third one, I'm actually in conversation with the publishing company about getting that signed and getting that rolling. The book is titled Bunny. And it's written by Christina Schwabauer. You can find this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Christina, thank you so much for joining us here again. I, I had such a nice time talking with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was exciting. I, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. The Fruit of Gladness. This is the new book. It's in stores right now. It's written by John D. Jervie. And I'm really happy that John is sitting here with me now to talk about it. John, thanks for joining me tonight. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, it's wonderful to see The Fruit of Gladness is out there now. Can you tell us all about it? Yes, The Fruit of Gladness was inspired from the Word of God out of Acts, the second chapter. And I was just looking at when there was an explosion in the first century church. Everything was predicated on the believers, no matter what they went through. They were glad based off internal joy not based off external circumstances or the end result. And when I looked at that, the revelation came to me that that gladness brought forth certain fruits. And those seven fruits are, you know, it was exponential increase. They were consistent, steadfastly in their day-to-day -day endeavors. They all had a word-based foundation. The fellowship exploded. The quality time they spent with others and enjoyed with themselves was just, you know, unbelievable. Their prayer time increased, the kind of prayer that just really changed things, moved mountains, and you know, brought about the desires of their heart. They have favor with man and with God. And those are the seven fruits of gladness. That's what individuals will see as far as you know, how to find internal gladness to go on that journey. And then the second half of the book, I just give some real-life application on how that has blessed me finding that internal place bearing the fruits of gladness in my life. Hmm. John, what kinds of readers were you reaching out to with this? With this, the goal was to reach everyone, not a specific denomination, not a specific gender, demographic, or age, because I believe, you know, gladness and joy and happiness is something that we all need. Hmm. I've been blessed and encouraged by the fact that all denominations, all ages have been purchasing the book. They've been inspired and encouraged and blessed by the book. Is for whoever is searching and looking to increase the amount of joy and gladness in their life. Was this something that took you a long time to write and then put through the publishing process? Well, not at all, because I'm actually a bishop at my local church, my local fellowship, Spirit Truth Deliverance Ministries, and I was preparing a Bible study to discuss the importance of gladness and, and bearing the fruits of gladness. Hmm. You know, as I wrote it, I was preparing the lesson and I went to bed one night and the Holy Spirit just began to deal with me and, and inspire me. And the inspiration came that this was more than just a local Bible study. This was something that, that was meant to be a blessing to the world. So I immediately went up and I, I transferred. I got out my bed from a Bible study 
to a book and it came together within like a week or two because I had mm-hmm. all of the material. And then once I just added the real life application to it, just had a, a mini book to put together. And I truly believe it's going to encourage and bless the nations. Mm. Is this the first time you've ever done anything like this when it comes to writing or publishing? Yes, it is. It's the first book I have ever written. And, you know, I'm looking forward to continue the process now of being a new author to continue to just, you know, through my writings, just to encourage and inspire anyone that reads it. Again, the second work is already, you know, underway. I won't you know, give you any details about that right now, but mm. this has opened up other avenues and I truly have insight to what I believe the world needs in this season. And I'm just looking forward to being a part of it and a contributing factor to increasing it, the level of peace in the land. So many of our listeners right now are authors who are looking to just start out, get their first book out there. What advice would you give to them? I would absolutely encourage all of your readers to follow their passion. Once they receive the inspiration, realize that inspiration is of God. Mm. And from that point, just begin to write, believe in themselves and write with a motive and objective, not of what they can get out of it, but how can they just be a blessing to whoever may be reading their book. If they approach it with that mindset, then I truly believe that God will bless the work of their hands. Mm. John, I really appreciate you looking to bring a little bit more joy into the world. The book is called The Fruit of Gladness. It's written by John D. Jervy, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can get this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. John, thank you again for joining me here tonight. I had a great time chatting with you. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. The Zinc City, Web City, Missouri. It's the new book. It's out in stores right now. It's written by Gene Newby, and Gene is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Gene, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in the Zinc City, Web City, Missouri? Well, it kind of gives you an idea of what it was like for a small town to get started just because someone uncovered a tiny piece of lead. Hmm. So what inspired you to sit down and write this? Well, I've had a column in our local newspaper for the last 32 years, and it was all on the history of Web City. And so several friends kept asking me, please put it in a book. Please put it in a book. <laughs> our book finally went to uh, online book, uh, our newspaper went to online newspaper instead of print. And so it gave me more time to start getting it all together and send it to the publisher and get it printed. Was that a long process for you? Well, it was 32 years of research, but uh, it took about two years to get it all put together into a book. Mm. Was it a local audience that you were looking to reach here, or do you think it could be broader? Well, it was a little bit broader because we have a lot of people who have moved away from the area who still took a subscription to the newspaper. Now, those that live away are, are buying the book also. Yeah, certainly. I think a lot of people could find a lot in this. There's certainly a lot of interest in this city. Can you give us a taste for maybe something interesting that readers could find? Well, I was able to do a lot of interviewing of older people because since I started 32 years ago, they were all still alive at that time. And I got a lot of stories that were firsthand Mm -hmm. that weren't just local history. You know, I mean, like one gentleman during the Civil War, he was sent down around Texas area. And so whenever he the war was over, he wanted to come back to this area, but he only had $5. So he took that $5 and he bought a horse and he started training the horse and doing upkeep on the horse. Anyway, he was able to sell that horse for enough money to get back to Jasper County area, which is where Web City is, 
and he was able to have enough money to invest in some mining. He wound up having a beautiful mansion here at the, you know, and he had an estate over in another area town of Carthage. He wound up being a millionaire when he only had $5 at the end of the war. Is this new to you when it comes to book publishing? I know you've been writing a long time, but as far as the publishing thing goes, was this new for you? This is the first time to have it professionally published. I've done local local printing of cookbooks, and I made a few post or pamphlets of doing a history walk through town and stuff along that line. But this is my first time to actually have it professionally published. Oh, congratulations on that. You know, a lot of our listeners right now are just starting off. They want to get their first book published. Uh, what words of advice could you give them? Proofread. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I had a, you know, I, I wasn't, I mean, I was expecting the proofreading and stuff along that time, but what I realized that I guess some of us overuse commas. <laughs> <laughs> and so well, I had to keep going back through and taking out some of the commas that I have used along the way. But other than that, you know, it, it was very educational. Just having them send you things at different times in the process of doing the publishing. And, and each time they would send me a different chore to do, got me more, more excited mm. about the day would come would come when that was published, and it was exciting. When that day came, when you held that book in your hands for the first time, what was that like? Almost like having my baby. <laughs> <laughs> it was so exciting to see it. Mm. You, you've got it in your mind as they're publishing it, but until you actually pick it up and hold it in your hands and see the beauty of that book, it's just, it's just amazing. Have you given any thought to doing it again and publishing another book? Yes, I've already got the next book because 32 years of research did not fit in one book. <laughs> <laughs> so I've already got the second book going. It'll be more on the uh, the businesses and the excitement of the mining and along that line. Anyway, then I have a third book that through the years I've done the interviews with different people and they tell you their memories of growing up in a small town. That's going to be the third book. So anyway, that's as far as I've gotten so far. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So looking back over your writing career, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of knowing you've been published, your work is out there, there are lots of people who are reading you? Well, my main thing is I keep telling everybody, write your story. Tell your story of your life that only you can tell. Mm. So this is what these people have done by, by letting me interview them, was I get to tell their stories, and they're there forever now. People will always be able to read the history of, you know, the, the man who made it rich and also the ones who came rich and wound up broke. You know, it's, it's, it's a history of people, their lives and what all they had to put into making Live City what it is. Well, I encourage people to check this book out. It's called The Zinc City, Web City, Missouri. It's written by Gene Newby and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you get books, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, iTunes, traditional brick and mortar stores everywhere. Gene, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had such a wonderful time talking with you. Well, thank you. I love talking about it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to welcome Dr. Paul Davis right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Dr. Davis, thank you so much for being here with me tonight. Well, thank you for the privilege of talking with you. It's great to have you here. I wanted to congratulate you for having a book that's out in stores right now. The title is The Bible and the Constitution. So, first of all, could you tell me what readers can expect with this? Well, first of all, they can see and be able to understand the responsibility of Christians from the Word of God to our nation. 
especially to the supreme civil law of our nation that is the only way that it should be run. It's called the Constitution. So what gave you the idea, the inspiration to sit down and write this and then have it published? Well, for some dumb reason, I wanted to be a notary public. <laughs> then said, Dr. Davis, your seals in, come down to the courthouse and get it. So I went down, and first thing the lady said to me was, raise your right hand. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I've already been in the Army, and, you know, and she said, no, no, you've got to swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States. I said, well, lady, I don't know what it says. She said, oh, it don't make any difference. We don't either. I said, ma'am, this is the courthouse. She said, I understand, but it don't make any difference. I said, well, to me, it does. And I can't raise my hand to swear to do that when I don't know what it says. So I turned around and left, went back to my church office, found a copy of the Constitution, and became what Judge Earl Britt in in North Carolina called the most dangerous man in America because he knows the Constitution. Hmm. Now, that's a sad day, but that's when it happened. What kinds of readers do you think would really be into this book? Well, every Christian should be interested because the Bible does tell us how to have a nation and how a nation should be run. Proverbs 14:34, righteousness exalteth a nation. Sin is reproach on any people. Psalms 127, verse 1, except the Lord keepeth the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Matthew chapter 22, where Jesus was asked a question about Caesar. And his answer was, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. My question to you and every American, whether they're Christian or not, I wish they would be, whether they are or not, is who is Caesar in America? Hmm. If God says, render unto Caesar that Caesar's, number one, we have to find out who Caesar is in our nation, and what does he ask for in order to be able to give to them what is theirs, and be able to know what God asked for and we should give to him. But if I'm giving to God what belongs to Caesar, I'm wrong. If I'm giving to Caesar what belongs to God, I'm wrong. So I have to know who is Caesar and what did Caesar ask for. Mm. After a season of much study, a year or so, more than a year, when God led me to Matthew 22, 15 through 22, and studying that out, I found out that in Jesus' time, Caesar was a dictator. Well, we do not have a dictatorial form of government. We have a republic, not a democracy, which is dictator form. We have a republic. Well, what does my republic ask for? So I began studying the Constitution word for word, wrote on it. The book is written word for word of the Constitution and explaining what the words say and mean. And so when I found out that Caesar in America is a document and not a person, because everybody that takes office in America has to swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States. When I went into the Army back in the 50s, I had to do the same thing. Hmm. I didn't realize what I was doing, but I did. And so when I knew that everybody had to swear to uphold the Constitution, I quickly remembered that they are under the Constitution. And so that is the highest supreme civil law in America for every American is the Constitution. In the world, it's the Word of God. In America, for civil law, it's the Constitution. The title of the book is The Bible and the Constitution. It's written by Dr. Paul Davis, and this is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can get this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Dr. Davis, thank you again for joining me on the show tonight. I had a really nice time talking. God bless you and thank you. Through Dreams, Book Two. 
It's the new book by Carrie Remick, and I'm really happy to be talking with her about it right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Carrie, thanks so much for joining me here tonight. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm really curious to hear about Through Dreams Book 2, but for those of us who aren't familiar with the series, what's been going on so far, could you catch us up a little bit and then tell us what you've brought to the table in Book 2? Book 1 was written through the stars and that it was just basically the start of their love story. It's about two people. They fell in love at a very young age. They were destined to be together, born on the same day. And that whole book is just them forming their relationship and all the wonderful things that come in the beginning of the relationship. Okay, they get married at the end of Written in Stars and through dreams, a terrible accident happens and one of the main characters ends up in a coma. He finds himself lost in this new world where mystical creatures run the land and he has to try to battle his way through their demons to get home. The longer he stays stuck in this dream world, the harder it is to see the light to get home. But luckily for him, his wife's unending love crosses through all boundaries to create a light to guide him home. Carrie, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into Through Dreams? It's a romance book, so I would definitely say the romance readers. This second book, Through Dreams, kind of goes with the fictional sci-fi side. Hmm. It's all abstract, like dream worlds. Nothing seems right in it. Where do you find your ideas or your inspiration for your stories? I have always loved writing. I've always had a passion since a very, very young age. And for me, it's really weird. It's like these stories play out in my mind like like I'm watching a movie. Mm. And one day I just decided to start writing them down. And before I knew it, I had this wonderful book and I'm just so excited about. Mm. Now, prior to this or the first book, have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing and publishing? I haven't had anything published. Back when I was in grade school, I did get awards for my poem writing. And then I kind of quit. You know, you get into your careers and start going with life. And just a couple of years ago, I decided that I really wanted to get back into it. And Written in the Stars is my first published book. And then Through Dreams was the second one. And I'm working on my third one now. Fantastic. There's nothing like getting that finished copy in your hands, that very first one. What was that moment like for you when you got to hold it? Oh, it was absolutely amazing seeing something that I worked so hard form into this. It was touchable. It was just absolutely amazing to see it. Carrie, now you're a published author. What's the most rewarding aspect of that for you? I love seeing my book online and just everywhere. I just absolutely love it. Carrie, can you give any advice to the people who are listening right now who want to go down that road of writing their first book and publishing? Definitely. It's a lot of hard work, but it is definitely worth it to see it all come out. And it's very time consuming. It took lots of hours, lots of sleepless nights, but it was so worth it. So worth it in the end to see something that I worked so hard at. What happens when you get writer's block? Do you ever deal with that? And then what do you do about it? So far, I haven't really had writer's block. I've had it to where I've had a little bit of a pause and I just kind of sit back, enjoy my kids for a little bit. And then For some reason, it just kind of works itself out and the characters are running around again in my mind and I'm just running after them, trying to write down what they're doing as fast as possible. When you write a story, especially fiction like this, do you have an outline? Do you know where the ending is going to be or do you just start writing with something in mind then see where it goes? Actually, this one was a dream that I had. It was kind of outlined in my dream and I just kind of woke up and just went with it and it just keeps going and going. 
And do you get into a sort of routine for writing? You know, some authors want to be in a certain chair or maybe, you know, have a certain kind of music in the background, but other authors, they just kind of write whenever and wherever they are when the inspiration hits them. So uh, what kind of author are you? I have a little area set up in the living room with my Alexa really close by. I love to have my music playing and I work better, honestly, when I hear my kids running around. For some reason, I just get in the zone a lot better hearing them. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called Through Dreams, Book Two. It's written by Carrie Remick, and this is published by Fulton Books. You can get this everywhere. You pick up books like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Carrie, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had such a nice time talking with you. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you today. It's the story of family trees. The book is called Aces in the Wind, and the author is David Lee Cooper. I'm talking with David right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. David, thank you for joining me. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me, Corey. It's great to have you here. Can you tell me all about Aces in the Wind? Well, like you said, it's a story about family trees, and it's really about two families that lived during the 20th century, and it's all about their relationships and their hopes and dreams and what happens to them and what life dishes out and how they deal with it. And that's really why it's called Aces in the Wind, because the idea, the whole blurb, the idea of it is, you know, everybody gets dealt a uh, hand of cards and it's what you do with that hand of cards and sometimes what the cards are themselves as to how you can live your life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it boils down to how many aces are in the wind as to how your life turns out. Mm, absolutely. David, what sorts of readers did you think would really be into Aces in the Wind? Well, just because of the time period of the book, all during the 20th century leading up to probably the 60s, I'd say the baby boomer generation would appreciate it. Mm. There's a lot of strong women characters in the book, so I think some women would relate to it. Anybody that's interested in strong characters living their lives, I think would be interested in the novel. David, can you think back to the time when you got the idea to sit down and write this story out? Well, actually, I started writing this over 10 years ago. I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't have an ending. And I wrote some of it, set it down for a long time, picked it up a couple times. And then a couple years ago, I got real serious on it. And the characters really do lead you down the path, at least on this book they did. And I just kept adding to it and adding to it, and finally I polished it up, and uh, here it is. That's wonderful. And when it comes to writing or publishing, is this your first time doing this? Yes, I had a poem published a long time ago, and I've written short stories during my lifetime, but I've never had one published in a uh, true form. And this is the first time I've had a work of this size that's published, and I'm real proud of it. Yeah, you ought to be. It's quite an accomplishment. Could you tell me about that moment when you got that first copy and you got to hold it in your hands? Oh, well, actually, that moment's pretty surreal because you do all this work to lead up to this one moment, and then finally you get a book in your hand, and your wife takes a picture, and you're like, okay, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then it sinks in in a few days. Mm. And a lot of our listeners now are authors just starting out. So what words of advice could you offer them? Well, the main thing for me, I knew how to write. I've always been able to turn a phrase. But once you get that work together, you really need to go over it and teach yourself how to edit. 
because writing and editing are two different things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Once I was able to teach myself to listen for those words that I wanted to delete out of the phrases just to make them smoother, just to make things sound better, you know, polish your work more, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Ice is in the Wind is a book that was a decade in the making. So now what would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author now for you? Because I have written during my whole lifetime to finally put a piece of art out there in the world. It's a pretty nifty feeling, you know, because people that I don't know are reading this piece of work that I put a lot of work into and a lot of myself into. So it's a pretty rewarding feeling because I know that, like right now, I've got neighbors reading my book. I've got people that don't know me reading the book, leaving reviews. And it's neat to be interacting with the world on that level. Mm. Now, looking down the road, have you thought about maybe writing more books, maybe a sequel to Aces in the Wind or maybe something a little different? There could be no sequel to this thing. This, <laughs> <laughs> this thing pretty much covered it all. <laughs> but no, I am actually start writing another book. This one, I know the ending, I know the beginning, and I'm just working on the middle. I'm trying to figure out exactly, I've got some of it, but I'm just trying to figure out how I would connect it all. Mm. So the writing process on the second book is completely different from the first. Well, David, thank you for sharing your work with the world. The book is called Aces in the Wind. It's written by David Lee Cooper, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere that you go shopping for your books, like at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. David, thanks again for stopping by the show. I had a really good time talking with you. Hey, me too, me too, and help people enjoy the book. It's a good read, I believe, the page-turner and all that. <laughs> I enjoyed talking with you as well, Corey, and I hope you have a good one. This is a truly moving book that I'm looking at right now. It's titled Heartbeat of Love, and I'm talking about it with the author here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. It's Patricia Brendel. Patricia, thank you for talking with me tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Can you tell me what you've written about in Heartbeat of Love? Okay, this book is about my daughter, Ellie, who battled a rare and deadly disease known as Pearson syndrome. And this disease has no cure. So basically, the doctors treat symptoms only. So this book is about a journey through her life that my family and I went through. It's her journey that takes me into my journey. So at the time of her diagnosis, they said that there were maybe five people in the United States or five children in the United States that had this disease. Wow. and maybe 10 worldwide. So that wow. kind of gives you an idea on how rare this disease was. So it was a trying time for our family. But when I look back and everything that we went through, God was with us the whole time. Mm. After we lost my daughter, I needed to know that there was more beyond the grave. I knew there was, but I really had to find out that answer. So I researched. And when I researched, I researched in the Bible. And that's when I found how intimate of a relationship that you can have with God. So when you look back and look into this and what this book is about, it is about a rare disease. It's about life and death. It's about fear and faith, courage, strength, hope. And it shows you that when you are in darkness, you're never alone. It shows you that when you are in that darkness, you can come out through light. Hmm. Patricia, what kinds of readers were you looking to reach out to with this? I'm looking to reach to anyone, to be honest with you. I believe anyone who has experienced loss sorrow, heartache. I believe it is for anyone that has not been able to find their light through the darkness. 
And I believe it for anyone in the medical field that it might spark an interest in the syndrome in hopes of a cure. I can imagine this might have been somewhat difficult to write. Did it take you a long time? It took years, Corey. Mm. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, it started when my daughter was born, but I never realized that this was where I would be now. The whole story took over 20-some years, but to actually write the process was a year. Mm-hmm. And it bridged her journey into my journey. Mm-hmm. Now, Patricia, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever tackled anything like this before? No, I have not. This is my first time. Oh, congratulations on getting that first book out there. Thank you. Do you have any advice now for people who are looking to do that same thing? Oh, absolutely. I would say follow your heart's desire and do not let your busy lifestyle get in the way and pray for direction. Mm. Now, after all the hard work that you put into this, can you tell me about the moment that you got to hold that first copy in your hands? Oh, my goodness, yes. That moment was full of excitement. Knowing that I finally finished this task at hand, it was like my prayers were answered and my hopes were found. It was a great sense of satisfaction. And have you given any thought to maybe writing more and publishing more in the future? Now that is a good question. I definitely have been gathering information. Hmm. Let's put it that way. Now, Patricia, who inspires you when it comes to your writing or your creativity or, or just your life? I would say through this book, my inspiration was Ellie God. My family and my husband definitely encouraged me to write this book. Mm. And now that you're a published author, what is the most rewarding aspect of that for you? The most rewarding aspect of this book, I would say, are the blessings that fall with this book and how it will touch people's lives. Mm. It has certainly touched our lives, and I pray that it reaches everyone out there and touches their lives as well. Now, when you were writing this, would you get into a certain routine, you had a certain maybe time and place that you like to write, or would you write more whenever the inspiration hit you? It would be more when the inspiration would hit me. But to be quite honest with you, I had a journal with my daughter's disease for the progression and the relapses, which was very helpful for the doctors, but it was also helpful to me for writing this book. With that in mind, I also, after we lost our daughter, I would sit down and I wrote this big article and it was so in-depth, Corey, that I just put it down and set it aside because I thought, oh, nobody's going to even want to read it. It's too detailed. It's too hard. But I, like I said, always knew that I would write a book. So then one day I just, I just got that urge and I sat down on my couch in the basement and I started to write and I brought the journal out and messages started coming through and the Holy Spirit just helped me put this all together. The book is called Heartbeat of Love. It's written by Patricia Brendel and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere. You go shopping for books like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick and mortar stores, everywhere. Patricia, thank you again for coming on the show. I had a wonderful time learning about your story and about the book, and I hope we can chat again sometime soon. I would like that. Thank you very much, Corey. I'm sitting down right now with author V.L. Harris here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Dr. Harris, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's my pleasure. You have a new book. It's out in stores right now. It's titled Black Sapphire. So can you tell me what readers are in store for here? Well, the book is an analogy of the hidden unknown appreciation and kind of under-evaluation of both the gemstone, the the black sapphire, and an unknown class of African-American women who strive and survive to overcome the negative societal stereotypes and who are also insultingly referred to as black sapphires. 
you'll find that the gemstone is hidden in the deep crevices of the earth. And when mined, has as high a value as the white diamond. But because of commercial propaganda and the popular catchphrase, diamonds are a girl's best friend and diamonds are forever, the white diamond enjoys a higher preference, a higher respect and esteem in this culture. The two gemstones hold co-equal value, one white, one black. And we, I wonder, should not American women, whether black or white, should enjoy co-equal life experiences, rights, access and privileges to citizenship, opportunities and a good life. So the book chronicles my personal life experiences, born an African-American woman in Houston, Texas, and raised in Seattle, Washington, and the societal impact that positive and negative experiences have had on shaping my becoming and my potential even today. Dr. Harris, when it came to the readers that you were looking to reach out to here, was it primarily African-American women or were you looking at a broader audience? Broader audience in terms of people who are critical thinkers, people who are enlightened, who believe in and seek human and informational balance and equality, and people who hold comprehensive perspectives on critical issues and events that shape the world, people who seek to track and understand truth and are inspired and want to resolve to make meaningful and take meaningful action for societal change, whether you're young or old, black or white, men or women, you all can appreciate the information in the book and the perspective and perhaps re-examine preconceived assumptions coalesce for racial and social justice for all of Americans. Mm. But secondly, the target is African-American women, families and communities, people who need to recall the past and recognize the best, reclaim those aspects that are good if they're, you know, collective past, and then replicate that as it corresponds to individual generational success and progress. Mm. So everybody mm. can get gain something from the perspectives of, in the book. Can you think back to where you were inspired or got the idea to sit down and put this on paper? It took two years of false starts and then about nine months, but I'm a very Christian person. So First John 2.20 persuaded me by the unction of the Holy Spirit and other passages in this scripture, you know, Romans 15, 4 mm. and Ecclesiastes 1, 9, which essentially states that make your life experience and events so that your children, you know, write them down for instruction and encouragement so that they may bring hope to them and don't hide life from your children. Tell them the glorious deeds and wonders of the Lord. So I wanted to leave a legacy for my daughters and grandchildren and others who may benefit from my personal experiences, for I know that my God is not a respecter of persons. What does your writing background look like? Have you written before? Have you been published before this? Well, yes and no, in that I've published my dissertation and I've published news and magazine articles, speeches and church and community publications prior to publishing Black Sapphire, my book. Now it's your first book that you've had published, and you put a lot of time and effort into it. When you got that first copy in your hands, what was that like for you? It's not the fun, you know, some people say, well, this is my finest accomplishment. Well, I don't think it was my finest accomplishment. I felt a sense of satisfaction. Actually, it was part of my bucket list. Mm. And so I thought, now what else do I have to do? What else is left to do? What else can I accomplish with the time that I have left on this earth? Dr. Harris, a lot of our listeners right now are aspiring authors. Do you have any advice that you could give them right now? For a would-be author, read a lot, know your purpose, have something essential to say, research, write from your heart, and most important message you want to leave with your audience, embrace it and write. Well, this is a truly important message, and the book is titled Black Sapphire. It's written by V.L. Harris, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere that you shop for books, like on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. 
Well, Dr. Harris, thank you again for coming on the show with me tonight. I had a wonderful time talking with you. It was my pleasure. Take care. What is everlasting success? Well, author Samuel Lefebvre explores that in his new book, The Perfect Gift, Reward of Faithfulness. Samuel is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Samuel, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege, and I'm excited about this whole thing. So thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Can you tell me all about The Perfect Gift, Reward of Faithfulness? Yes. So The Perfect Gift, uh, Reward of Faithfulness, I call it the Titanic remake of the Bible. The reason why I call it the Titanic, if you if you remember the movie Titanic, it tells you of the story of the Titanic, but it, it has a love story in it. Mm. So this book somewhat tells you of the story of the creator using Bible study, but it has a love story. It has a personal biography and a, lo- a love story in it in terms of how I met the perfect gift and how I was inspired by the perfect gift to discover and now in pursuit of fulfilling my purpose. But also most importantly, I think in a nutshell, it prescribes the six steps to have a perfect relationship with the creator. So in the process, it would help you not only weigh the probability of discovering, of choosing between faith and randomness and randomness of the universe, but also how do you establish that kind of like perfect relationship with this creator once you surrender to faith to him. Hmm. Samuel, what kinds of readers do you think would be most into this? You know, I really believe that people that are kind of uh, curious, like especially um, that are leaning on the agnostic side, I believe that there's two components of the book. I think three steps to discover and embrace your identity and three step of activity where you go about discovering and fulfilling the purpose of your existence. I believe in the step of the identity, the identity part in which where I weigh the probability using scientific theories and personal opinion and scientist opinion to essentially show the higher probability of one versus the other. I think that would really intrigue the folks that are curious, the folks that are, you know, that are on the agnostic side. Mm. But I think for in terms of the, the activity part, where how you go about discovering and fulfilling the purpose of your existence with the love story in it, I think that's going to be appealing for everybody. So I, especially the folks that are already believers and folks that are yearning to find this perfect gift, this companion that would uh, help guide them towards discovering and fulfilling the purpose of why they're here on earth. Hmm. Can you tell me how the idea or the inspiration came about for this? Yeah, so essentially, I got to say it's all a matter of destiny because Hmm. what happened, I've been through a lot of heartache in life because I was, you know, I was a a very rebellious teenager to a young adult. I went to a, a terrible relationship in which I ended up stealing somebody else's wife and made that person, I can say, my living partner. And that ended up in chaos that where I got into a crossroad in which I had to choose between life and death. And fortunately, in uh, the creator's plan for me, I chose life. And I started to, in my misery, living in in inhumane and impoverished condition, I started to write. I started to write, you know, from scripture, from the Bible. 
from then people start telling me like, listen, you have, you have a book on you. You're going to be writing someday. Mm. Never really believe it until I met the perfect gift. So once I met the perfect gift, then we drew that out of each other. She's an author herself. So she, she's much smarter than I, than I am. So <laughs> she got her first book out a year and a half earlier than I did. That's when the inspiration came and I got laid off for my job. So I got laid off for my job on January of 2019. And now that gave me ample time to spend like eight hours a day writing that book. But it's a game changing book. So I think this book is going to be, I, call, I believe this book is going to be a bestseller. It's going to change a lot of, a lot of lives and it's going to be, a, it's a game, definitely a game changing book. If you're looking to find out more about success, fulfillment, purpose, and a true identity, then you can check this book out. It's called The Perfect Gift, Reward of Faithfulness. It's written by Samuel Lefebvre, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can get this everywhere that you buy your books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Samuel, again, I had a great time talking with you here tonight. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And I'm looking, and hopefully this is not going to be the last time. Right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting down with author Taishambe Thompson. She's written a new book. It's called The Perception of Trauma, Spiritual Guide to Becoming Whole from Trauma. So uh, Taishambe, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you, Corey, for having me. Can you tell me all about your new book? Congratulations, by the way, for getting it out there. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, what can I say about the book? It's multifaceted. Um, mm. It came from the concept of adult childhood experiences in which we perceived either through actual or by individual thoughts about abuse and trauma. And they caused us to, you know, kind of sometimes live negative lives or the lives that we don't want to have. Mm. Can you think back to where you got the idea or the inspiration to write this book and then publish it? Yeah, pretty much. It actually comes from a very personal space. You know, I grew up in a pretty decent household, but as in everybody's house, I'm sure, there's just differences and things that happen that just don't seem right or a little off. And so through some of that, I went through my own personal abuse and trauma from my eldest brother. So what it derived from is just a pretty much misguided lifestyle, you know, not knowing right from wrong, changing direction quite frequently, not knowing which way to head, mm. inability of finding who I am and getting centered. What kinds of readers were you looking to reach with this? Generally, I think most people have had childhood experiences that cause some type of ill effect in their lives. Mm. Whether we gravitate to saying that they were traumatic or saying that they were abusive situations in our childhood, Mm, it's individual. I think most people have had something happen that made them either push forward or some people to pause and become zombie-like in life. And other people cause them to be, you know, the addicts or the derelicts that they've become because of these experiences. So it could go either way. It's, I can only say that it's personal. It's the person's own individual perception of what happened and what they're doing out of it. And a lot of people are very successful, yet depressed. You know, mm. we see successes, you know, I have a big house, I have lots of money, I have three, four, five children, I have a nice car. But interior-wise, that inner child is still suffering because we haven't taken grass hold to, you know, what has caused that inner child to be sad, 
depressed or, you know, suicidal kind of things. Hmm. Would you say this book is primarily for Christians then, or is it broader? It's broader. It's definitely broader. I think everybody who reads it would get some piece of understanding either of themselves or even of other people Mm. out of the book. You know, now you can sort of have compassion towards somebody who's an addict because they've Mm. been through a traumatic experience that they've yet to verbalize and try to get realization as to what has happened and how can I go forward. They stay stuck in that inner child and can't get past those moments. And so it could bring, for one reader, it can bring you to a deeper level of compassion for other people And for another reader, it can bring a great renewal to their own mind and and, and begin a stage of transforming how they even see themselves or perceive themselves. Hmm. Tyshawn Bay, how difficult was this for you to write? Did it take you a long time? Been probably writing this book since about 2007. Hmm. So, yeah, it took a long time because even as I go back to read the book, I, I know it's a very... I think it's pretty much about 65 pages and it is like stock hard. It hits you from one angle to the next. There's very little fluff to it. It just gets to the point and it drives that point in and it goes on to the next point. And even as I was reading it back, I was like, oh my God, I'm stuck on chapter three because you have to read it all over again to get the full revelation of what it's saying to you. It's even odd for me to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) The title of the book is The Perception of Trauma, Spiritual Guide to Becoming Whole from Trauma. It's written by Tyshawn Bay Thompson, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you shop for books, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Tyshawn Bay, what a wonderful time I had speaking with you tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you again, Corey, for having me on the show, and I just wish you all the blessings ahead of you as well. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.